Trying to save your souls from damnation So if you down with the message Tune in every week It will lead you to the message that you seek Uh Shout out to everybody that's been watching. Shout out to everybody that's been supporting. Shout, shout out to the block. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to everybody that's helped us to get so far thus far. Um, we thank all of you for for being here with us and for joining us. Uh, oh, you looking for your phone? Yeah, I'm good though. <laughs> okay. okay. Introduce yourself. Oh, y'all yeah, remember me? It's Kamel Hall. You know, BK Truth Eight. You know, Eight is for Kobe. The dog. <laughs> you already know. Shout out to Kobe. Rest in peace, Kobe. Rest in peace to Kobe, daughter man. Um. We're here with a special guest. We got Steve out here. I'm I'm there taking his introduction. (laughs) Go go ahead, Steve. Introduce yourself and tell the people a little bit about yourself and where you're from. I'm Steve Wilson. I'm 74 years old. I grew up in Delaware, Ohio, and now live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I've just written a book called Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. It has to do with starting at the age of 10, I encountered a very traumatic incident and that precipitated me becoming bipolar and maybe some other reasons. Um, This book of mine takes me through the rest of my life, because the rest of my life, I was uh, in the grasp of bipolar disorder. I will tell you a little bit about my family life. I am married to my wife, Lenny. We've been married for 50 years. Congrats, man. Thank you. I had three daughters. They're now grown and married, and I have two grandchildren. Uh, for the Amazing. most part, my life was spent in the clothing business. My family had a uh, men's and women's clothing store in Delaware that survived for 84 years. And I closed it in 95 and went into the custom clothing business traveling all over Ohio and then here in Phoenix selling custom tailored clothing. Mm-hmm. Checks all the boxes. Good. That sounds wonderful, man. Good life. <laughs> That's my life. That's good. <laughs> so you were talking about something traumatic occurred in your life that caused your the the onset of your bipolar. You want to talk about that? Well, truth. I 
yeah, I can talk about it. It's, it, I, yeah. I always went to the movies at our local uh, theater in Delaware on a, on Saturdays. And this particular Saturday, I went to the movie, and when the first feature was over, because they always showed double features back then, I went what? up to... Well, yeah. <laughs> That's a blessing. It's back a long time ago, that this time that the the year this happened was fifty seven. Shelter Wall Street did. We used to go there and watch movies all day long. <laughs> we used to just go. Yeah, there there wasn't a double feature though. We just made our own. <laughs> in those days, they had a curtain, mm-hmm. and the curtain would close after the end of the first feature, and then everybody would go up and get popcorn or coke. So I went up to get popcorn, I got popcorn, and I went over and had a machine that she got the Coke out of, and it kind of just dropped down like it was floating in air, and you got the Coke. Well, it cost a dime. Just making sure of Coca-Cola. Some guy came over and put a dime in the machine for me, and uh, I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him, and... He said, uh, would you come with me? I want you to help me out in the restroom. And for the, uh, that summer, I had gone to camp and had uh, on several occasions been re- requested to clean the restroom. So I kind of, as my stupid, naive mind worked those days, I thought that's what he wanted me to do. But it wasn't. And when we went in the room, the bathroom, he attacked me. Uh oh. That's about all I'll say about that. In, in Jamaica, we, did, we, we rebuked the devil, you know. <laughs> when, <laughs> when that happened, did you tell anyone right away or did you keep it to yourself? My decision was to tell no one, and I didn't for 30 years. Wow. Why? And my wife didn't find out from me until 2015. Over 40 years we'd wow. been married at the time. Wow. But I told nobody. And why was that? Scared somebody find out what I went through and would blame me. And I blamed me. And it was horrible. So I just kept my mouth shut. Yeah. The darkest secrets, you know. You don't want to put out there, you know, it leaves you vulnerable. So, how did you make peace with that situation? You know what the amazing thing was? And it didn't prove to be good in the long term, but at that term I just shut it out of my mind. I just pretended it never happened. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That worked for a while, and then I started getting hit by a bad, bad depression. Mm. You started, what well, well, was the depression from the, that you started thinking about the incident again, or was it just no, other things? never like, thought about the incident again. Okay. The depression just started. Um, when I was in fourth grade is when it hit me. I was a star student. Um, when I graduated from Junior high, I was eighth in our class of 210. All right. Uh, 
depression started hitting me when I was in fourth grade, and it just beat me to death to where my, for about two or three years, my grades just dropped to nothing. And the depression was terrible. It was like I was worthless, nobody loved me. Uh, I didn't start thinking of killing myself at the time, but I couldn't study, I couldn't do anything but watch TV. You had any uh, siblings or, or you had any siblings or family or I mean like I've two got, parents? I've got a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. My brother is living in Dallas, Texas. He was a uh, uh, an airline steward for 40 some years, just retired. And my sister is living in Delaware, Ohio. She was a nurse. They were old, they older than you? Pardon me? They older than you or? Uh, my sister is a couple years older. My brother is five years younger. Okay. So you're right in the middle. That's like me. <laughs> yeah. They always say the middle child yeah. has all the problems. Yeah. You take on both sides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> J. Cole got that track, Middle Child for Our Generation. <laughs> so eventually, how did you find salvation from that situation? Pardon me? Eventually, how did you find salvation from that situation? Because you're able to speak about it now with us as strangers. Well, actually, things got a lot worse. Mm. Uh, things were the worst at uh, right after I graduated from college. And then I went into a deep, deep depression, and all I could think of was killing myself. Mm. I never tried... Don't know why I was able to keep from trying, but it was horrible. Um, and that was 1971. Mm. And then I went in because of another incident where uh, I had an altercation with my father. I went into, that time they were called sanitariums, but it was also named Harding Hospital in Worthington, Ohio. Uh, at the time, it was a well-known uh, psychiatric hospital. It was only 15 miles from my home. So I went into uh, uh, Harding Hospital for three weeks. Uh, got better, but none of the medications would work um, much anyway. They helped a little bit. And then I got back. I got out after three weeks. And went to work in the clothing store, couldn't do that, went to work in the golf business in Arizona, failed at that, went back to the clothing store, failed again, went to a department store in Columbus, worked eight months, failed again. All of these failures were because of my depression. How did, how did you tie the two together? Well, usually, well, I'm not, I wouldn't even say usually. I'm trying to understand depression from... We get a lot of um, guests and so on talk about um, depression. And I'm actually learning more that depression is not even caused by a traumatic experience. It could just be... It just happens sometimes in life. Yes, mm. that's right. It does. And I have not had any psychiatrist or therapist... Give me an answer of why it starts. They all say 
it's from a chemical imbalance. Mm. Why does it one person and not another? I have no idea. Hmm. So let me ask you this, right? That situation that happened at the movie theater, how did it impact your life when it came to like dating and interacting with women and even men after mm -hmm. that? Well, it was a huge problem sexually with the women I was with. Mm. And I was, uh, and what would happen is I couldn't perform sexually. Uh-oh. Provide us more education on that. Pardon me? Provide us with more education on that. You know, I just read a, uh, a book on uh, bipolar, mm -hmm. and they do say that a traumatic sexual encounter can cause problems in the future with performing sexually. Mm. And what would happen is we get in, I would get in a position with the, the girl and we'd start playing around and things would go fine. He's a Mac. He was a Mac back way. then. He was like, I'll get in position. You know, I had her in the room. I lined her up. <laughs> As it get further along, I'd stop. Could not perform. Were you nervous? Any chances. Were you nervous or was it just something you didn't understand? No. No, I just couldn't couldn't do anything. There was no feeling. Erectile dysfunction? Mm. Not no. that. No. It has nothing to do with erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. It has to do with not being able to get excited, not being able to... Here's what would happen. Mm -hmm. We'd get going a little bit. And I'd stop. That was it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the lady would be going, what the hell? <laughs> She's like, I thought I was going to get some. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, did man. this situation impact you religiously? Like, like, were you religious or part of a religion? Um, it did eventually. Mm -hmm. um, right after college... Up, in, up through college, I was a Presbyterian and practiced once in a while, but I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I believed all the stuff that uh, goes with it. But in 1974 or something like that, I got a job as a traveling salesman with a suit company out of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I got hit really bad with depression and that. And I, was, and I was housed in a hotel in downtown Cincinnati, and I was really bad. Mm -hmm. So I would get out their Bible, and I would start reading Psalm 23 and asking God to help me, and no answer. Mm -hmm. And I would do this every night, and then, out of frustration, I just said, I'm done with you, God. You won't help me. You won't help the world. Uh, it's terrible all over the place, so you're out of my life. Mm 
I think everyone has that. Yeah, boy, kids. So, where did you find your blessings? My blessings during the terrible depression and bipolar came from mostly my family mm -hmm. and friends. I never went back to church. I never did any of that kind of stuff. Uh, work was always secondary, but my friends and my family were always very close. And now I'm going to tell you something that's very important to people who find themselves in a bipolar or, or any other mental health situation. <laughs> my parents, sister and brother, now take my sister, my brother out of it because he wasn't around, mm -hmm. did very little to support me. Um, oh yeah, they got me a psychiatrist and that, but they did very little. And what I'm saying is one of the main things that helps the most when people are depressed or other mental illnesses is that they have a support system. I had none. My wife was still in school. She's two years younger than I am. And she was still in Florida. And that's when I went through the worst of it. And I felt as if no one gave a damn about me. Hmm. And that made things even harder. Mm. So, go ahead. Well, so, love. How did you eventually find the love of your life that you've been married to for over 50 years? How did that happen? Well, I found her, luckily, in college. Uh, my senior year, she was a sophomore. And um, we went together all through the next 52 years, except for one little problem. Uh, she was going to move out after she graduated from college and live with me. And my depression was so bad and the voices in my head were so bad that she sent me her trunk of all her clothes and things to come out. And my mind kept going, get rid of her, get rid of her. So I called her up and told her, She's out of my life. Dang. <laughs> On that moment? So, so it sounds like you also got bipolar schizophrenia if you hear voices as well. You know, the voices only hit about a handful of times in my life. Okay. The first time was when I was, I was, I was a swimmer, and I would swim laps every day. And I was also a lifeguard. And we had a county pool in Delaware. You did a lot. Yes, you did a lot. Very active. We yeah. Were... So I went to the pool. It was somewhere in the summer, like in June of 71. And the first time it ever happened to me, I dived in the pool to swim some laps. Mm -hmm. And on every stroke, the only thoughts were, kill yourself, kill yourself. Every <laughs> what? stroke. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. So I only swam two laps. I got out of the pool and 
Two days later, I entered the hospital. You walked, you, you walked yourself in or you ended up in the hospital? Pardon me? You had walked yourself into the hospital, you say? Uh, yeah, after the incident with my father. So what happened with your father? You skipped that part. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like that's, that's missing details, man. <laughs> but I want people to read my book. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you, you got, a, you got people interested. <laughs> well, let's just say... As I told you, nobody from my family gave a damn what I was going through. Why? Did you I had like a bad relationship with my dad, oh. and we were at a barbecue at our house in June of 1971, and I was cooking the hamburgers, and he came over and said, get the hell away from there, you don't know how to cook hamburgers. <laughs> Now, you might think that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference. <laughs> no, it does. It does. It just reminds us of Caribbean parents in a way. I heard of <laughs> yeah, we all We all stab that to each other. You know what you do? Why are you buying a girl? Immediate, man. The end of being able to hold stuff in. Mm-hmm. And there was a knife sitting on the grill. I picked it up. Oh, man. Jason Voorhees. And I went to the hospital. You was tired of it. Did your father go to the hospital, too? He was tired of it. Huh? I don't even think he knew I was about to stab him. Oh, you stopped. But did he get stabbed? No, no, no. Read the book. Oh. Oh, man. (laughs) Ah, man. (laughs) Ah! I like that. I like that. I nice like that. <laughs> so, you lived through a lot of different decades in your life, and earlier you were telling me a story about um, the kid that they bring from Africa to America to play professional sports, mm. and you said that it, it, it pictured a black guy. And I kind of laugh because that's how they see a lot of us black guys. Athletes. <laughs> Basketball players. Yes. So, growing up, like I know you've seen a lot of changes in the world, like... How have you seen the world changing, and what's your view on today's politics? Oh, we're going to go there. Yeah, we just want to hear it. You got the knowledge we need. I think that politics is a nightmare. Uh, Trump was the worst thing to ever hit our country. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't want to get into how badly I dislike what the Republicans are doing, but let's just say I'm a staunch Democrat. Okay. Um, I hope you guys are too. We we we're not gonna speak about politics. <laughs> <laughs> Put me out on the line. <laughs> nah, that's not what we really meant, though. Like, we weren't talking about like like blue and red. That's not what we're talking, we're talking about. Views. We're talking about more so black and white. Like, how have you seen things change? Like, we always want to hear like. The other perspective, like we could speak amongst ourselves all the time because we grew up with one another, but we want to hear your perspective from the 70s to the 2000s. Well, let me tell you, I have always been very cognizant of what blacks have gone through forever and continue to go through forever. But I'm going to just mention something that happened to me when I was a senior in college. 
because I always felt blacks were treated like bad and had no rights. And was, now this is back in the sixties. Yeah, you know about that. You you've been yeah. there. Yeah. And so I went up to this girl, black girl, at Rollins, where I went to school, Rollins College. Mm -hmm. And in Ohio, had, like, pardon me, in Ohio. Florida, Winter Park, Florida. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have about a minute, but if it cuts off, just enter back into the Zoom with the same link, okay? Okay. Yeah, so go ahead. So anyway, there was an activist black girl, very well accepted in this almost all-white school, but she was very pro-black uh, conditions and all that. So I went up to her one day and I said, I uh, can't remember her name, and I said, you know, I'd like to help out your cause. And she looked at me and she says, I don't want your help. <laughs> <laughs> she you used your to scoop it out. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time I said, <laughs> <laughs> Things have been getting better, 
like being able to be in the rooms now with politicians and people of affluence being invited to the country clubs and being in the room I could say that communication in person is yeah and they don't let enough of us that look like us in you know yeah. a lot of times when I go there the only people that look like me really are the servers and a few yeah. other people yeah. and the people that do look like me that's in there sometimes they don't want to speak to me they rather speak to other people yeah but it's, it's weird at the same time because we don't have gatherings like they do we should though yes we don't have those type of events where we're like the host like network yeah mm -hmm. network events like we don't have that type of communication in terms of hey let's all gather for our own award well i think the closest we got was like the soul train and I guess BET, those are the closest things we get to our huge gatherings, but yeah. nothing really for charities like we're doing. <laughs> yeah. We should throw them. We should try. Have like a gala or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Everybody gets suited up. Might see Steve come through, you know. <laughs> so, Steve, like, what do you think overall of... We got, Pick one. We got joy in economics, right? That's left. Yeah, economics. All right. Mm -hmm. So you was talking about how the things, how things were worse under Trump, and how you like the Democrats. But I feel like the economics of today has been thrown off. Like I feel like it's worse under the Democrats. Oh, the with the talk starts now. <laughs> well, well, there's no question we're doing bad possibly heading toward recession no we are in a recession they yeah, just rebranded they just don't want to say it yeah it feels i can say that uh you might be right mm -hmm. it is a lot worse um but global I recession into a lot of things of why it's worse mm -hmm. uh, the supply chain mm -hmm. the after two years virus after all two those years things made, but <laughs> You're saying after two years, the supply chain still hasn't been fixed. Right. Wow. It has not been fixed. How? They can't get things delivered. If you go into your grocery stores, you'll see pockets of talk, talk about baby that are empty. Talk about baby formula. <laughs> yeah, baby formula is very expensive right now. Very, very expensive. I don't understand. Like, you can't even get baby formula consistently. Every week they got new ones. <laughs> yeah. That's not Biden's fault. And mm. I wouldn't even say it would have been Trump's fault. But mm. I think Trump would have done a better job with that than Biden. Biden looks like he's asleep most of the time. <laughs> hey, let's not get into politics. <laughs> <laughs> like easy cop now. Any other job, Biden would be forced into retirement. But for some reason, for the president of the United States, like they think he's he's able to do the job. That is true. But that, but let's be honest. We can all be honest about this. We just want they just wanted Trump out of office, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they got Obama's friend. <laughs> so like, yeah, take Obama's friend. I think we'll be better off by 2024. But this one was just to get Trump out of office. Like, like take Obama's friend and a brown woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please help us get rid of this guy. <laughs> so, where do you find joy in now? Like, because I know that you still go through your depressive states and you still go through times of depression. Do you still do the bipolar? Or you got that? Or are you taking medication? There's no now? cure for bipolar. Mm -hmm. Are you on medication? Uh, the thing that saved me was medication. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of those uh, medications. For years, they were giving me medication that was completely designed for depression. Mm -hmm. I'd been diagnosed for eight years as having severe depression. And one day my psychiatrist said, you know, we may have made a mistake. Thank you. Uh-oh. you think, this is eight years after the first. That's too uh, many days. Depression. <laughs> he says, you might be bipolar. Hell, I'd never heard of bipolar. Wow. So he gives me a prescription for lithium. DSM-5. <laughs> yeah, and wow. lithium completely, not completely, it altered my mind and everything, and I was about 50%, 60% back to normal. It got you lit. That's why you call it lithium. It's, <laughs> it's like the lithium battery, right? <laughs> it energized <laughs> you. <laughs> so I took lithium for 22 years, and it was causing problems with my kidney. Yeah. And I shifted over to another drug called Lamictal, which continued me on my good way. But I was still having problems because it only got me about 50% back. And so you switched to marijuana? And most of those problems <laughs> with your runaway mind. I could, if you, if I told you something bad about yourself and really pissed you off, mm -hmm. I would worry about it for the next two years. Just constantly thinking, oh, what did I do to Ricard? What did I do? For two years? And I couldn't get the uh, ruminations to stop, mm. which was pretty bad. It's tough to work and always thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. But uh, I got a new psychiatrist in around 2000, and he gave me a new drug that was pretty much just out called Paxil. And that's when I got really good mm. so Made all those almost all those ruminations go away so how how did that other problem go away the problem when it came to to women you were saying that you know yeah um did your wife was was I it fixed no by the time i had no explanation for how it went away except for I fell deeply in love with a girl my junior year and we went together for, we were together for about a couple of months and suddenly we just had sex. <laughs> I felt great, went through it. Don't know why the change. I guess because I really liked her made the difference and I really... He was cured by the poom poom. <laughs> <laughs> it was so magic. She had the magic. She she put it on you, right? <laughs> it's like I don't even know what happened. It just happened. <laughs> man, in high school, that's a, he was he was active, man. He was active. So so what? Oh, was, that was college. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was doing the same thing in high school where I couldn't couldn't feel anything. So, but you was getting close. He was out there shooting shots. Just, yeah. <laughs> that's good, you know. The kids nowadays are having issues with communicating to the female generation now. 
in terms of our, in our area, the music is, you know, a little darker, much darker. A lot say. darker. Yeah. We, back in the 60s and 70s. It was love. Purely <laughs> white music, yeah. no problem. They didn't even say damn on them. See? Yeah, so, and from my perspective growing up, you know, um, I found that music was like a teacher for me because I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm like, oh, this is how you, you know, talk game to girls and so on. But now they don't have that type of music. So yep. he hearing you talk about the high school thing, it's like, oh, I had a little bit of that too. But these kids, they don't have, a, they don't get, the, <laughs> they don't got that chance. It's the the women music. The music for women is like f these guys, and the w music for the guys is f these girls. Like forget about them, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is right. Yes, it's, I'm happy that to know that you see it too. From being from that generation, uh, older generation, even to now, you see the change in the music genre also. Mm. <clears throat> sure. So, um, what, so what's your secret ahead. to such a long marriage? <clears throat> What was what? What's your secret to having such a long marriage? Well, my wife was my biggest supporter, mm -hmm. and I put her through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she stood by me, mm -hmm. and even though I didn't tell her about my being accosted mm -hmm. uh, until 40 years, mm -hmm. um, we were always truthful with each other. Uh, we had oh, a couple spells of, of not enjoying each other's company, to say. Mm -hmm. But uh, not many times. It was pretty good. We communicated with each other. We loved our kids. Uh, so for, for me, um... it just went that it was just uh, easy, I guess. Yeah. Most of the time. For me, I gotta ask, in the beginning, was it rough or easy? Or did it, like, how did the beginning start when you first got married? Was there a change? Because um, what we're told is, you know, and what we also well, see is that women uh, get power. Here, here I'll give you a preview <laughs> of what can happen when you're bipolar. Hmm. We got married in 1972, mm -hmm. August 19th. In New Jersey. That's my birthday, August nineteenth. Really? Yeah. Got to Congratulations. <laughs> Synchronicity. You hooked up to me. <laughs> so, uh, we drove to Atlantic City after the wedding. Mm -hmm. Got a motel, and too tired to do anything but go to bed. Um, Atlantic City is my wife's so I got up the next morning. My wife got up, or her name's Lenny, by the way, L-E-N-N-I. Mm -hmm. And she got up and went out to the beach. Mm -hmm. I laid in bed for a while, and my mind started saying, why the hell did you get married? <laughs> you oh, no. really screwed up your life. Mm. It was relentless. Oh, no. And so I went out to see her on the beach and said, Lenny, we made a big mistake. Now, if you've been married one day and you <laughs> tell your wife it was a mistake. You're breaking a heart. You're in deep duty. <laughs> you're breaking a heart. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. we worked it out. Because she, she knew that I had 
periods of time where it was just dark for me. So we got through it. Okay, understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right. Well, uh, man, we got we covered all the topics. I was gonna ask a wild question, but I'll behave. <laughs> ask him. Do you mind if we ask you? I got a wild question for you. Yeah. Have you ever had a threesome? No. Okay. That was it. He answered. <laughs> Do you have any questions for us? Well, I'm really curious about what your group is all about. Our group? Uh, I remember I when I first contacted you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm scheduled to be on several podcasts, and yours is one of them. Mm -hmm. But I still don't know a lot about what you do. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want to tell him about what you do? Want to tell him about what I do? Well, what he was wondering what we do together, and yeah, so we grew up together basically, and in two thousand and fifteen, um, I had the opportunity to preach, and then when I started preaching, I had a sermon that went viral. From the sermon going viral, then um, I guess the the things that myself and the people around me were doing became more popular and so more people started to gravitate towards us whether it was us doing things in church us doing things when we went out like to parties things like that we just had that energy and so we continued with that and then I started inviting those same friends to come sit down and have conversations and that became a podcast yes. so, with, so with the <laughs> podcast it became it kept growing so I kept inviting more and more people and people was like yo this guy seems to know a lot of people like that's coming willing to sit down like, we start off with the people, like, close friends and people from the church. Then we ventured out to other people. And then eventually, like, you know, we got hooked up with Podmatch. And then that way we get people from all over the world now. So it's getting big. And from there, in 2018, um, from doing the Facebook Live that turned into a television show, and then from being coming to a television show, we started the not-for-profit in 2018 because we used the popularity of the television show to get people to donate. So we would then get the donations and then give buy things and give back to the community. So we wasn't just preaching and talking and sitting here not doing nothing. We started to give back. And then that's when it was like, you guys should turn into a 51C3 and see if you could get grants and you know funding and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So then we started working, and then, you know, we, we started working with the politicians, local businesses and groups and, you know, different churches. And then eventually we got, like, awards for things that we were doing, and then it just kept growing. That's the clean version of it. <laughs> <laughs> the dirty version of it was also what, what he pulled, um, what, you know, what I found attractive about, you know, the idea of the show and everything and the 501 was... Um, we grew up skeptical of the media. So we started, when we was doing our own media, the goal was always to let's get the real truth out of people mm -hmm. so that way we, people can actually hear something that doesn't sound like, you know, a script. That's why I feel yeah. so raw. We're really just asking you conversations like we're just in the moment. It's not a script or nothing like that. So, you know. When he put, whenever we gather around, we're always gather around real people so we can ask them real life questions that are not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're, it sounds like mm -hmm. you are religious based. Mm -hmm. yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You can say that. 
Because I am an ordained minister. I am an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. Okay, now what do you think when I come on here and tell you I threw it all away? Well, and I never go back. Well, then I still go back to salvation. And that was something big that me and him was talking about. Like, mm -hmm. how could we include salvation? Salvation is knowing that there's something bigger than you and that God himself sent his only begotten son to die on the cross so that you can be saved. So regardless if you want to be saved or not, that salvation is there for you if you're willing to go for it. Yeah, so the goal isn't to like change people's religion or nothing like that. It's just, you know, just making sure everyone believes in something bigger than themselves and, you know, have something to worship. Yeah, meaning you where you at, yeah. but doing it Christ-like. <laughs> Christ helped the people with their physical infirmities, as in like he made the, he helped the blind to see, he made the lame walk. He fed the people like he met their needs before preaching to them. Yeah. So we're delivering the real word. Like that's mm -hmm. literally in the book of Matthew, the real mm -hmm. word. Like mm -hmm. God came to him and said, said, I know you. He said, Father, how do you know me? He said, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was in jail, you came to visit me. When I was tired, you gave me rest. So therefore, where the weakest of me is in need of assistance and you are there, you are also helping me. So that's the real word of God. It's about it's about love and salvation. It's it's not about nothing else. Like just like we didn't judge you, like we heard you out. Yeah. <laughs> no judgment. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh. And I got one more question for you because you didn't fully answer this when we were talking uh, before the show started. Mm -hmm. Um. I noticed on your website that. There's a, quite a few pictures, mm. and I don't think there's a white person in any of them, <laughs> which doesn't make any difference to me, but it brings up our, is your community mostly African-American? Yes, I would say because we yeah. grew up in Brooklyn, we, we grew up in Bushwick and Canarsie, and we yeah. are predominantly around black people. I wonder if you heard it, gentrified. We just started getting gentrified. Yeah, we <laughs> just started, white people just started coming around us, Yeah, that would make sense to you. Yeah. As in, we, we've never physically assaulted or harmed any white people in we our lives. We, <laughs> like, we haven't even been around them to have hatred for them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So well, I will tell you something. I am a facilitator at two mental health uh, mm -hmm. groups in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for seven years. And I've seen well over a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you only about five of them have been black. See? Wow. And I am very concerned that your community is not finding the help they need. We can't afford it. Therapy and medications and so on. Right, I like that you bring up the therapy because okay, we've been I, talking I about I could that. answer that question too <laughs> because I've worked within the shelter system. Major all right, majority of the mental ill individuals in New York that are of low income or poor background, <laughs> yeah. They end, up, they end up in MICA shelters. MICA stands for Mentally Ill, Chemically Addicted, which means like there's seven, eight floor, 200 bed shelters where they put them all in and they're all over yeah. the city. And that's what they do with them. They <laughs> keep them temporarily in the hospital where they give them shots or they give their medication and they send them back to the shelter. They discharge them back to the shelter. Hospitals do not provide long-term care if you think about it. And long-term care is going to be very expensive. Who's paying for it? 
Yeah. But that's not that's not uh, the hospital's job unless you're going into uh, a psychiatric facility, and most of the time they don't keep you forever. Yeah. But I'm talking about the people who come to my group that are black mm -hmm. are middle class. They they have money. Well, their parents got good jobs. Well, they have good insurance. Mm -hmm. They got money, but there's only about maybe 20% of Americans suffer from mental health issues. That's 66 million people. Mm -hmm. And the predominant number of those people who get help are white. Because they have the money. Most black people... For some reason, I'm telling you the reason. <laughs> You're not trying to listen. It's, it's the, the dollars. It's about the money <laughs> and the stigma attached too. Because yes. white people like we're we're used to watching television where rich white people say they have a therapist. They're like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna speak to my therapist. Like it's almost like that's like a luxury. It and, doesn't feel like a luxury to us. And <laughs> in the real sense, it is because I've done private practice psychotherapy. Like the lowest. I was charging cash clients was a hundred dollars an hour, mm -hmm. and insurance we bill insurance at three fifty. Insurance comes sometimes come back at two fifty five, and the person will have a copayment of at least twenty to fifty dollars a week if they're doing weekly therapy. Yes. If you think about it, that's like what two hundred dollars a month. Like that's a bill. Most people can't afford the copay, let alone the insurance. Mm -hmm. And when you and with that with the money being such an issue, it becomes a secondary thought to fix your mental health. <laughs> yeah. Like by that time you're just trying to survive. Yeah. Like black people in America, a lot of us are in survival mode. Like you might not understand that, we but eat, a lot of sleep, us work and go back. A like, lot of us are in survival mode. Like, you know, fighting for scraps. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanna tell people who suffer from mental issues whether you're black, white, or Hispanic, um, there are programs you can get into. They're not the best. Mm -hmm. Arizona has a program called Access. It's pretty good, but it's far from perfect. Mm -hmm. But they can get, if they're on disability, free medication, free therapy, and it's better than nothing. When you say disability, you mean and every SSI? state has it. How do we? How do would they go about the disability aspect? Well, when you say disability, you, you mean know, SSI? As far as I know, from my uh, members of my groups who talk about getting disability, it is pretty damn hard. <laughs> but yeah. if you stick with it, after about the third interview, probably you'll get it. Okay, so yeah, if you're talking about SSI. If you're not making too much money. And you can prove to them that you have a mental issue through whatever oh, way tests. Uh, you can get. And for some, it's the only way they can go. But a lot of people don't know anything even about that. They also can, can provide you with housing. Mm. So there is help out there, but it's trying to get the word out. Mm -hmm. And then when you get the word out, they become too overpowered and they can't serve everybody so mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword I understand. okay i could I, I could explain what you just said because i worked in within that scope so he's talking about basically 
Okay, disability is SSI for those that are either old or disabled, but that hasn't worked enough to pay into SSD, which means like you was probably on welfare, did not make enough to pay into Social Security, you get SSI, which is like the welfare the for level. it's like welfare for disabled people. Mm -hmm. So you don't gotta work, you get a check. It's it's around I'll say five to maybe seven hundred dollars or less. Mm -hmm. Um, you get that monthly, and then SSD is like if you worked since you were young and you paid enough into Social Security, where now you're unable to work, you could reap the benefits. That yeah. one you can make anywhere between nine hundred. Doesn't to, that one go by age though? Or? Yeah, 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 both. Okay. Because there's early disability and there's late disability. Yeah. Like you, you'll get cash out early, but sometimes you get less. And then if. Here, if you go into the shelter and you have disability or you on welfare, then they'll they'll keep you on shelter and they'll take a portion of that check. Then they give you food stamps, like the government is paying a portion for your food. Then they also give you cash, put a little bit of cash in your pocket. It's like ninety dollars a month. It's not really a lot for a single person. Mm -hmm. But now, if you have mental illness and you go into a mental illness shelter, there's something called the twenty ten e voucher, supportive housing for those with mental illness. And then they'll use a portion of your disability check or the government disability to pay for your housing and they'll house you or they'll give you a government voucher, city feps, um, where the city will pay for your housing because you have a... Mm. While you're in the shelter, they provide that. That's kind of my job because I'm a social worker. Therapy, is, therapy, I think, is very important for people, uh, for all people in general because it's like, um, you know, isolation is terrible. In the jails, if they isolate you, it's the worst punishment, you know? So having someone to talk to and feel unjudged with is the most important thing in terms of mental health, I think. Um, you were saying to yourself how you felt that you didn't feel like you had any support. And honestly, I think that's the biggest thing we all want. We all want support. We just want somebody to support, so and we support them. Mm -hmm. So, I, but mm -hmm. I find from most people in my groups that support means support. It means helping them feel good, do whatever. It is not for them to say, well, why don't you go take a walk? You'll be better. <laughs> you have no right to feel this way because we're giving you a good life. Mm -hmm. Support means how are you today? Are you feeling okay? Have you taken your medication? Mm -hmm. All those kind of things. Okay. So you just need a hug. Kind of. A hug. I said you just need a hug. A hug would be nice. <laughs> a hug would be nice. So how did you feel about this conversation overall? <clears throat> well, it's pretty damn good. I didn't expect it to be so much <laughs> topics. outside of the realm of uh, <laughs> mental issues. Oh. But... Uh, I've enjoyed it. I won't get into politics with you. <laughs> <laughs> but even that's been fun, though. Like, the little bit that we did speak on. Yes, it's been a good conversation. I, I hope everybody gets to enjoy this. <laughs> oh, and I want to make sure, I'm going to tell you again, I've just written a book. Yes. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You read my mind. I was just about to. I was just about to say. Um, tell them one more time where they can find your book. <laughs> it's called "Teetering on a Tightrope: My Bipolar Journey." It was just on. Started on Amazon and Barnes and Noble today. Okay. It's fourteen ninety five. It's mm -hmm. the best book you'll ever read. Respect. <laughs> Hardcover, softcover. It stands by it. Hardcover, <laughs> softcover. <laughs> Pardon me? Is it hardcover or softcover book? 
But I missed that again. Hardcover book or soft cover no, book? No, book cover. I mean, uh, <laughs> paperback. Okay, okay, okay. okay. And it's going to be, a, there's an e-book e in it too. That's good, that's good. Yeah, the e-book is good. You know what you should do? You should do like the voice books. That oh, yeah, the voice books. Yes, but I tell you, it is very difficult to get a book published in mm -hmm. this country. Mm -hmm. um, Why? I made, I made 22 solicitations to get a company to even look at my book after I sent them all the information on it. Nobody ever paid attention. Mm -hmm. uh, one other friend of mine wrote a book. She gave it 140 tries Jeez. to get someone to look into it. Those are the big, the traditional publishers. Okay. The, big so the only way I could get it published was to do it myself. Wow. And it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. It is a long term. This has been a three year project with me mm. to go from when I started writing it till today when it is released. Mm -hmm. And it's an enjoyable process. Because you're passionate. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a little tough, yeah. but uh, I don't know where I was going with this. But anyway, oh, we're talking about the um the audio book, the audio I'm trying to get it to. Um, yeah, yeah, the audio book itself can be up to six thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Wow! And I've already spent a bunch, but it was well worth the process. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did it. I hope it helps some people out. Okay, that's good. Well, but you're gonna get residual income from the book anyway. Yeah. What'd you say? I said you're gonna get. I'm in hard hearing, by the way. That's oh, why I keep it. You're gonna get income from the book anyway. Let me give you a little, give you a little tip. Uh oh, give us the I stats. have to pay or sell five thousand books to break even. The average number of books sold by an author for his book or her book. Is less than 500. Mm. Man. So it's a daunting task. Yes. But it's worth it to me. You wanted to, you still wanted to give out your, you know, your knowledge. So I, I unless get... you're super famous or popular. Yeah. You yeah. Well, you know, you take a guy like, oh, any of these great authors, James Patterson, yeah. you've heard of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like and Kevin Hart. He, he puts out 30, 20 or 30 books a year. All these famous authors monopolize the traditional. Once you're hot, they stay hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like R.L. Stein when we were kids with the Goosebumps books. Yes, it was hot, you know. Like the Scholastic. And they books. go back to back to back. They, they know when they're hot. <laughs> they try so to... For me, the reason I did this is not to make money, but to... I went through a bunch of bipolar books that have been written already. And I couldn't find any that chronologically take the bipolar sufferer through his life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'll do this yep. this way rather than just saying, yeah. you know, they would tell about things. You, you feel the so it's a different. It's a different book totally. Uh, it is alarming in places. Um, you know, there's, there's funny things like the sex. Mm -hmm. That are not really funny, but they come off that way. Yes. And uh, so I hope it does something. Right. We'll see. Did, did you ever in, have another physical or sexual encounter with a man after that? 
Oh no. The man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't go in that direction ever. Is <laughs> <a> hell no. <laughs> yeah, no that no I think that's closing thoughts. Come on. Man, don't let don't let defeat hold you down. That's one thing I've learned from this episode, you know, keep striving even if you fall, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. Steve, closing thoughts? I was, I, I tell you something about the medication that is important for people to know. Mm-hmm. Medication, when it works, is great. You, you can get back to normal or close to it, but you're not cured. Mm-hmm. The average of people who get a lot of help from medication is 50%. Oh, yeah. So, a lot of the people, medication can make you sick, medication can make you fat. Yeah. And I'm talking 30, 40, 50 pounds. Yeah. yeah. And so, what people are left with is a choice of if they do have a medication that works but it has bad side effects like putting on 50 pounds, mm-hmm. then the person has to decide, do I want to be in not good mental shape and have 50 more pounds on me? <laughs> or will I not care about the 50 pounds and take the medication? Yeah. Because there's a lot of decisions to, to be made, and you'd be surprised how many people will say, I don't want the 50 pounds. <laughs> but they can't work it off, even if... Pardon me? They can they they can work it off like yeah. work out and yeah, count it off. Mm. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, the other thing I wanted to say about the medication is the side effects. Mm. Like I was saying, side effects can be brutal. Mm. Um, I won't get into it, but when you when you read my book, you'll see two devastating examples of psych drug interaction um one of them was with my kidney and one of them was with my eyes mm. so and they were pretty damn devastating but i still made it to where i am today amen <laughs> bless man yeah so, i want to just thank you steve for like coming on our platform and sharing your truth with us and having this open conversation you know being vulnerable in this space with us and I hope this conversation helps a lot of people like to become vulnerable and to be able to speak on this. Like you said, it took you 40 years to even tell your wife about some of the things that happened to you. And a lot of people are going through the same things. A lot of people did the same things where, you know, they're hiding these secrets so that they continue mm-hmm. to move forward. But we see the outcome of it. And, you know, some people go into depression. It's some better people, to talk about it. <laughs> some people deal with bipolar. Some people deal with different issues that that affects them in different parts of their life even through adult through their teenage years adulthood and you know up until you know even older even grandpa years (laughs) so it's like all these things that are accumulated over time and we learn all these things that happen throughout life and what life really is as we share and and sit and listen to the lives of everyone else Mm -hmm. so i thank you for that steve i thank you very much for coming on and I want to thank all you guys for supporting. Shout out to Snaps Media Group for awarding me um, Brooklyn's Finest. Oh, so um, I brought the trophy, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Next time I'll bring the trophy, man. <laughs> so 
So shout out to y'all, man. Shout out, shout out to all the supporters. Shout out to all the people that continue to support the things that we do. We couldn't do it without y'all. Um, so with that, we're going to close out. Steve, you want to pray for us to close? You mind? What'd you say? You mind praying for us to close? I missed that again. <laughs> do you mind pray, you know praying? Steve praying, praying for us to close? Oh, you're asking a lot of an old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Close up, Rick. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're going to do the praying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to do it. Dear Heavenly Father, that doors in heaven, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for the opportunity to be here with you, Lord. We ask that you continue to watch over us, continue to bless us and protect us. Dear God, I'm asking for a special prayer over my brother Steve. Um, help him as he deal with his bipolar depression and bless his family, continue to bless his marriage, continue to bless all his works, continue to bless his book, help his book to be there to reach other people and to help them as well. As bless Kamel as well, bless his family, and bless me and my family, bless this platform that we have created together, this labor of love, Lord, as we continue to grow, order our steps, Lord, and we put it all in your hands as we pray to your, you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we thank you all for joining us tonight. Good night and God bless you people. We love you. Bro. It's a real world. It's a real world.